Go with me to John chapter 1 this morning. It takes five minutes for you to watch that video, and truly, that's my entire sermon in a five-minute presentation. I marvel at the way God gifts people to put those things together and rhyme, but I want to read again verses 1 to 18. This is the Word of God. John writes in, you'll hear these from the first video this morning to this one, in the beginning was the Word And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, that's Jesus Christ. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Our focus this morning is verse 4 and 5, and then down in verse uh, later, verse 9 and 10. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Now John bore witness about him and cried out. This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness... We have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He, Jesus, has made him known. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. As I get into this particular sermon, I I need to make a rather major announcement to you all this morning. One that will likely be a shock to many of you. I've struggled with how to tell you all this today. I've prayed about it and I've, I've labored over it. I want to express myself in a way that makes sense to all of you, and I want to be able to tell you this in a way that doesn't make you think less of me and doesn't make you think that I'm a hypocrite by any means. And there's no easy way to tell you this, so here goes. I love Christmas. (laughs) I wish this was April 1st. I'd say, gotcha. No, there I said it, like I really did. You should have seen some of your faces as I said this. Steve, wherever Steve dies, I set him up. I told him I was going to do this this morning. 
no, I really love Christmas. I, you know, I really needed to get that off my chest. Because um, Deb, I have really worked hard at making people think that I hate Christmas, that I'm Scrooge. But I love it. I love everything about Christmas. I love the music and the nostalgia, the gatherings and the concerts. I love the after eight mints. I really love those. I love the smell of, Chris, of turkey and Christmas tree all mingled in at once. I actually love the packed malls. I do. I love looking for good deals. But especially, I love the lights. I love the lights of Christmas. I love the sense of life that comes at Christmas time. Dark places are lit up. Not only are they lit up, but the light gives new beauty to what would normally be hidden, and maybe you just pass right by it. A lit Christmas tree, think about it, it's coming soon, it's almost November. Debbie's rule is after the 31st of this month, Christmas music is officially allowed to be played inside of our home. But a lit Christmas tree shimmers. It, it dances, the, the light dances, and the beams all look, well, if you look up and down a street and watch the lights bounce off falling snow or glistening icicles, and you wonder, and wonder just jumps all around you, and something happens. If you allow yourself to get caught up in it, you'll remember a former happy time or childhood memory. You push away maybe just momentarily the anger of disappointment. And maybe just for a moment, people, more people than normal, seem to realize this is what's important. I've been distracted all year by the rat race of life, and I, I need to just stop and look at the lights. It seems to me like the lights of Christmas make a person reflective, maybe even sometimes remorseful, but aware even that something's wrong and must be corrected. It's as if the light communicates with me or with us, like it tells us Stop and take notice of life. In this gospel, John is showing us Jesus. He's God in the flesh. He's the second person of the Trinity. He's all-powerful. He's the creator of everything. He's purposeful. He's all-knowing. He has all might. He's magnificent. <laughs> And how does John then choose to say, if I'm going to boil him down into a couple of words, a couple of themes, he chooses life and light. You want to know Jesus? To know Jesus is to know life. It's to see light. You'll see like you've never seen before. And then he contrasts Jesus with the darkness. You see that in verses 4 and 5. And let's be honest, I don't have to get into this passage for us to admit that darkness seems to be all around us. And if we're honest, darkness seems to dwell in us too. I've said it many times, the hardest thing in life is to be honest with yourself. The hardest thing in life is to be honest with yourself, we as humans lie a lot. But when it's all said and done, I think we lie more to ourselves than we lie to anybody else. 
But what's more is to be able to come to grips with the darkness that comes from within us, which is why John writes this gospel. The gospel of John is a gospel of hope. It's a gospel of wonder. It's a gospel of promise. And that's why my title has what says what it does. John has one grand theme in mind. Jesus is life and Jesus is the light of the world. Everything we've done today has meant to point you to that. Get you thinking, wondering about who Jesus is. And my only desire is to get each and every one of you individually and all of us collectively to make a decision about Jesus. Because you have to. J.M. Boyce puts it like this. To some extent, the gospel begins and ends with this theme. John begins by declaring, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. That's our passage. He concludes in chapter 20, verse 30, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so for Everyone who is here today, whether you're a seeker or a doubter, whether you're skeptical or maybe you're comfortable in your religion, maybe you're self-righteous, you feel like, look, I'm not the best, but I'm definitely not the worst. Maybe you're hurting. To those those of you who are here who feel you're good enough and you're proud of your religion and you're proud of those who think up of you, Maybe to those of you who think you're too bad for Jesus, you don't deserve anything. And I want everybody to hear me. From the best of you to the worst of you, Jesus is your answer. He gives rest to the weary. That's Matthew 11 verse 30. And he shines his light of conviction to those whom he need to be slurred, stirred sorry, from their slumber. So I have three points for you this morning and then we'll be done. Number one, Jesus and only Jesus is the source of real life. Jesus and only Jesus. John says, in him was life. And then he tells you what kind of life it was. And the life was the light of men. Okay, he wants you to know this. One of the most well-known verses in the book of John, if you've been around church or Sunday school or Awana or children's club or anything like that, is John 14, 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Many of you probably memorized it. But some of you have heard me say this before, and let me say it again more slowly and more purposefully. Every one of you can make a choice about how you want to live your life, what you want to believe in, what you want to cling to, what you believe is most important, and whatever way you live will bring you to God. And and I need you to understand that. It doesn't matter what version or flavor of Christianity, what denomination is over your head that you think is important. It doesn't matter if you're you're Muslim or if you're Jewish. It doesn't matter if you're in any kind of a cultish religion. It doesn't matter if you're into Eastern religions or philosophies. Pick whatever you want. It's all available. And every one of us will get to God. If anybody tells you anything different, they're a liar. But only one road 
leads you to God as Father. Every other road, you will end up before Him as your judge. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man or woman comes to the Father but by me. Now, what makes Jesus and the gospel so controversial? What makes the gospel offensive is that Jesus declares, not me, not, not our church, not even any of you. Jesus says, I'm the only way to God where you're in a right relationship with him. You can live any way you want. You can decide what your priorities will be. All your roads will get you, but only Jesus will bring you to God as Father. And so the message of the Gospel of John concerns life. But the life he presents is still more than existence at the highest reaches of the mind of man. He points to the true life as the child of God. In him was life. Jesus himself is life. So number one under this, Jesus is true life. Jesus is true life. You see, let's be honest. All too often, you and I do this. We get our priorities and we even get our perceived needs wrong. This happens to me every day. I'll think I need this or my wife needs this or my kids need this. And I'm convinced only to be shown in the mercy of God that even my perceived understanding of their needs can be completely wrong. I have perceived that Debbie needed certain things. And then I go and do it and bring it to Debbie. And Debbie says, why did you do this? Because you needed this. No, I didn't. Well, I thought you did. Well, I'm glad you thought that, but it's not what I need. We, we go through this. We get it wrong. Whether it's the woman at the well in John 4 who thought if Jesus offered her endless water, she'd take it. Because she thought her need was, I'm thirsty, I want some water, give it to me. Or what about the crowds in John 6 that had just been fed by Jesus and now they're following everywhere and all they want Jesus for is because their perceived need was hang out with him and he feeds us physically. Each time Jesus tells them, your perceived need is off. From the rich man who wanted to live with his riches and thought that would make him happy. See, we all tend to focus on our immediate needs. I wish you'd be honest. We are led by our feelings, even our instincts. But Jesus himself said in Matthew 16, For what will profit, what will it profit a man or a woman if he or she gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man or woman give in return for his or her soul? You see, if you've come to Jesus just for a good marriage or just to get your kids back or in hopes that you're going to have a good job or just because you want to have a good house or just because you want to have health, you're going to be sorely disappointed because what does it profit you if you have all of that, but you don't actually have Jesus and it doesn't save your soul? John wants us to know right from the start, Jesus is life. He's not the tooth fairy. He's not the winning the lottery. Jesus is not a genie in a bottle. You rub and up against him and out he comes and pops it up and grants you three wishes. See, the word life here, just to give you a bit of a Greek lesson, is not, is the word zoe. It's the word zoe. It refers to spiritual life. It's not the Greek word bios, where we get our English word biology. 
That's not what is said here. Jesus came to give us spiritual life, which is why you've often heard me quote the man who said, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good, but to make dead people alive. Jesus is not content to just make you and I moral. He has to do something far more radical than that. Now think that through, because if you're dead in your trespasses and sins, which Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, you're already condemned according to John 3, 17. A dead person can't express what it needs. It can't talk. But Jesus knows your need and mine. Jesus knows how to fix your need and mine. And when he does, your outlook on life is different. Your priorities are different. You see the world differently. You view the meaning of life different. What you value, what you live for. Think about Lazarus in John chapter 11. Lazarus who dies and then is brought back to life. For the life of you, do any of you really think that when Lazarus died, dead for four days, we'll get to it in John 11, there's a significance to why it was four days. And then he's risen from the dead. Do you really believe that Lazarus lived the rest of his life somewhat just exactly the same as he did before death? Or do you think that just about every day of his life, he met someone that said, what's it like to be dead? And he probably said, let me tell you what it's like to be alive. You don't think he wasn't radically transformed by that event in his life? He was. Jesus is God. He is self-existent. He's always been and always will be. So if that's true and you believe him, then what could he not do? What could he not do? What could he not provide or accomplish? What could he not see you through that you are walking through right now? If you would say, Steve, you don't know what my life is like. No, but Jesus does. And since he's God, you don't think he can't walk you through it? He can. Jesus cares about who you and I are. And that is why when you believe in Jesus, Jesus cares about everything. There is no part of your life which you get to say, well, this is just, be, this is just for me. You know, Jesus gets all of that, but I keep this for me. Now, let me get really personal and very current to our population. Jesus cares about who you and I sleep with. Of course he does. Not because he's an ogre, not because he wants to rain on your mind and your pleasure parade, because he's got a plan for how you and I relate to each other as human beings. Does Jesus define marriage? Absolutely he does. Not because he's small-minded and raising up a crop of small-minded people, but because marriage is deep and it reflects the Trinity. Does Jesus have a plan for how men and women should treat each other and compliment each other? Yes, Does Jesus have things to say about every part of our lives? Of course. He is life. He's the source of life. He's the giver of life. He's the sustainer of life. Jesus is the definer of life. By the way, may I say, ladies, I love you, but you don't define life. God does. And God uses you to bring life into the world. But you are not the one that decides if a baby inside you is a human being or not. God does. He's the center of life. Jesus is real life. Number two, Jesus is eternal life. Now, everybody gets this, right? John 3, 16. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, I even memorized it in the King James, and I'm still saying it in the King James. You could laugh there. That's okay to laugh. To know Jesus is to know who you are. To know who he is and to accept what he says about you and himself as true. To trust him, to rely only on him, to look to him, is to love him and want to be with him. And that and only that is eternal life. Have you ever thought about what eternal life will be if you're going to be the one that determines what it all looks like? Because it doesn't match up with Revelation. In Revelation chapter 21 John lets us in again on what heaven's going to be like. And he says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. Why? For the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light, the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. Now, notice these words. They will bring into it the, the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. You see, here's my thing. Why do we want to go to heaven if we don't want what Jesus wants? Because heaven is where Jesus is, and heaven is where everything is done the way Jesus wants it to be done. So if I think, I just want to live forever, and I want to live however I want to live, heaven would probably not be a great place for me to go. This is what the rich young ruler struggled with in Matthew 19. John 10, 28, Jesus said of those who come, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. In all of the Bible, or all of John's writings, in the Gospel of John, the word life occurs 36 times in his Gospel. And the related verb to live increases that by another 15 more. So to have life or to live is a major theme for John. John wants us to know that Jesus is God and as the creator of all things, he is life and the author and finisher of our faith as Hebrews 12 tells us. Jesus gives life and then he comes to, comes to folks to give them eternal life. And how does he do it? Number two, Jesus and only Jesus is the light of the world. You see, Jesus is life. He's the center of life. But more than that, he offers us himself as the source of real life, eternal life, life that has meaning and hope, life that gives us strength and trust, life that brings healing and gives us power to do what we could never do on our own. But Jesus is also light. He's the light of the world. We sang about it. Light of the world who stepped out into darkness. Again, this is my favorite of John. Why do you read the Gospel of John or 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John or Revelation? Jesus is described over and over as light. But I wanted to show you that video because I wanted you to get an understanding of what light does. What does light do? It, it reveals, right? It, it transforms. It, it guides I started maybe with a very mean trick by telling you I love Christmas. I love Christmas lights because they reveal beauty. 
When, when Deb gets our Christmas tree and she decorates it, I have to be honest, to go into the room and see the Christmas tree during the day, it looks kind of drab. You know, the only thing I get out of the day is if I get the smell of the Christmas tree and then it smells. But man, when you get down and you turn the lights on, the whole thing looks completely different. And it's like you can see it in ways you've never seen it before. If you've been to a dentist, you've experienced the light of exposure and guidance, haven't you? When you lay back and they turn that thing on and it's like looking up into the sun. And, and yet you're glad because you want that guy or that gal to see what they're poking around with sharp objects in your mouth with, right? We have all have smartphones now. How many of us have used the flashlight on one of those things to find things or reveal things? But light also transforms. Many folks will use vitamin D lamps to overcome seasonal depression because the sense of light changes them. There's nothing like walking out into the sunlight and feeling the warmth and power of the sun to transform your attitude or even the way you feel physically. Because Jesus is the light. He does these things for us. He reveals himself to us. He transforms us and he guides us. And John said that in 1 John 5. This is the message that we heard from him and proclaimed to you. That God is light. And so Jesus' light reveals himself. Jesus' light reveals himself. We all know of times, right? When Jesus shone in such a way that it just amazed people around him. One of the things you can think of is when he took Peter, James, and John up on that mountain and he was transfigured before them and, and, he, and basically Jesus lets his light out and, and John, when we get there, John has trouble even describing it. He, he, I love these, there's these certain instances in Jesus' life where all the author can do is pile up adjectives and he was white, whiter than white linen that had been washed white because it was whiter than snow and it was white. Okay, we get it, man. He was, he was, he was bright. It was bright, okay? He, he, he just, it's, he's had a complete lack of it. Revelation talks about the majestic light that is Jesus as he reveals himself as God over and over again. You'll see it in Revelation 4, in Revelation 5, in 19, 20, 21, and 22. Psalm 18, 28 tells us, For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. Jesus communicates God to us because he is God. He's the word. He's the communication of God by his spirit through his word. We can see and we can know and we can understand God and we can understand ourselves and we can understand our world and our future and we can see why we are to live the way God tells us and what's more is that when we trust in Jesus and walk accordingly, something happens because Jesus' light transforms you. His light then transforms you. When you've come to the life of Jesus, his light transforms you. This was the promise in the Old Testament. A very famous Christmas passage, Isaiah chapter 9, where the prophet said, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. The prophet says, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice over you with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. I am named after my father, but I like to think that I'm also named after the first martyr in the Bible, Stephen, that great first martyr. 
You ever wonder what, what Luke tells us about him in Luke's chapter 6? When he's about to stand up and he's about to give his defense of how Jesus has made a difference in his life. And at the end of Acts 6 it says, And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw his face that it shone like the face of an angel. This light transformed him. And later at the end of Stephen's great sermon, hear what Stephen sees in Acts chapter 7. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He was transformed. He's being stoned to death. And he sees the glory of God. In 1 John 1.10, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, not only this, we have fellowship with one another, but look, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. When you trust in Jesus, when I trust in who he is and what he says and what he promises, he transforms us. Do you remember the woman at the well? How she's transformed? She's had five husbands and she's living with a guy. And when she meets Jesus, meets Jesus, and Jesus loves her, and Jesus tells her, uh, Jesus says, you have done well to say you don't have a husband, so you've had five, and the guy you're living with now is not your husband. And you know, remember when she goes back to testify, you know what she says? Come meet the guy who told me everything that I've ever done. She's no longer ashamed. She can walk in the light. She doesn't have to fear or be discouraged or embarrassed. She doesn't have, feel shame and guilt anymore. God knows her just as she is and he loves her. And that light transforms us. What about the man born blind? He just skips around the temple. I once was blind, but now I see. Right? What about Zacchaeus, that wee little man? who lived only for himself and, and stole money and extorted from people. But when salvation visits his house, the first thing he wants to do is make things right with everybody. Have you been transformed by Jesus? What's your transformation story or testimony? But not only does he transform us, by his spirit and his word, he guides us. You see, Jesus' light guides us all. It also guides us. Is there any more famous verse in the church than Psalm 119, 105? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You see, listen, it doesn't have to be complicated to be profound, but let me just give you a, a real profound new idea. Imagine what would happen if Christians actually read the Bible and memorized it. I mean, brace yourselves. That's radically new. Imagine we live in a day when not only your Bible, but thousands of Bible books are on your smartphone, on a jump drive, at the hands of your fingertips on the internet. And we live in an age when people know less about Jesus today than they did in the 1800s. That shouldn't be in the church. His light guides us. Jesus said in John 8, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In Ephesians 5, Paul says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. 
For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything's exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Solomon says it best, though, in Ecclesiastes. He says, I thought wisdom is better than foolishness, just as light is better than darkness. For the wise can see where they are going, but fools walk in the dark. Yet I saw that the wise and the foolish share the same fate. Unless you let the light transform you and guide you. Finally, the words, the last words of the Bible give us the eternal promise of the light of Jesus in in Revelation 22. And the night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. And then finally, Jesus and only Jesus can and has overcome the darkness. Only Jesus can and has overcome the darkness. This is the final word image that John gives us in 4, 5, and 9. And will come up over and over and over again in his gospel writings. Jesus talks about, John, sorry, talks about Jesus as the life and light and evil as darkness. In every time he moves, he is moved of God to put ink to parchment. This is from God, about God to us. And so what do we need to learn? Number one, the darkness is real. Listen, church, the darkness is real. For John to contrast light and darkness must mean that darkness exists and is real. And do I honestly have to prove to you or anyone that this is true? From Satan's love of fear of pride for himself, sin and death bring and have been deceiving and destroying humanity for millennia. Now stop. Please don't tune me out here because I'm almost at the end. And don't say, well, this isn't very positive. So I don't want to listen to this. So we throw our hands over our ears and we go, la, 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 la. Like those people that watch TV. Have you ever watched them when you're waiting for somewhere? And they're, everybody's watching television. And those ads come on TV for the hurting and starving kids. And we feel bad and then go click. Because that's negative. Or the child who thinks, if I get under the bed and close my eyes, evil will just go away. The devil, the world, and your own fear of change will drive you to shut down right now and shove aside the negative. But listen to me, evil is real. Fame, power, possessions, pleasure, substances, and stuff, emotions, and circumstances, whether it's people being hurt by us or us being hurt by people, the one thing we must see is that evil is out there. Sex trafficking of children and women, children dying, abuse of every kind, suffering and diseases, senseless pain and death and tragedies. Then there's the way we see countries lead and then are devoured. The rich getting richer, the poor, poor, racism of every kind. We all long for something better. We cry out for it. We even pray for it. We're politically active for it. We rally and some even shout and even mean it, yet it's still there. The darkness of humanity. For every story of healing and help, there are 500 of abuse and hurt. And that's why even in television, criminal minds and law and order, and they just go on and on and on and on because there's never a shortage of evil to act out. It's just there. Kevin Bacon, who is a very famous Hollywood actor and by no means would define himself as a true friend of Christianity, said this, I really believe that all of us have a lot of darkness in our souls. Anger, rage, fear, sadness. I don't think that's only reserved for people who have horrible upbringings. I think it really exists and is part of the human condition. I think in the course of your life, you figure out ways to deal with that. 
That's a very honest quote, but it's very hopeless. Is the best you can do figure out a way to try and manage it? It's like you're Siegfried and Royd, and you're just trying to play with tigers, but you always got hope that you can keep them in the cage. Because number two, the darkness fights. The darkness is real, and the darkness fights. We've all fought the darkness within ourselves, haven't we? Come on now, be honest. We've also seen and experienced the dark power of evil around us. The Bible tells us that Satan is like a lion. Then he hunts humanity. He just hunts, he looks for prey. Jesus told Peter that Satan actually requested Peter to sift him like wheat. We all know too well the struggle of Paul. Remember in Romans 7 when he says, the things I know I'm not supposed to do, I find really easy to do. And the things that I know I'm supposed to do, I find really hard to do. And he just flicks his hands up. He says, oh, wretched man that I am. Like, what, what, what can I do? <laughs> Jesus felt the darkness fight against him too. Satan tempted him. Religion turned on him. Political powers approved his death. He was laughed at and spit upon. He was whipped and beaten. Paul was stoned, imprisoned, whipped, and eventually martyred for the gospel. The darkness fights. <laughs> now listen. Listen. But the darkness loses. It's real and it fights. But it loses. John declares the triumph and victory of Jesus. The darkness cannot overcome the light. There's echoes of Genesis 3.15. When God tells Eve this Satan will come and he will, he will bruise the heel of Jesus. But Jesus will crush the serpent's head. And so ever since, people, the world has been fighting and Satan's been fighting and the flesh has been failing. And here we are, the hours, and John would write about the horrors of darkness in the Garden of Gethsemane for Jesus, the anguish and pain of whips and crucifixion, the tear of God the Father in an Isaiah 53 way, watching as all the sin, yours and mine, was placed upon Jesus and God's wrath and holiness to clear the whole of humanity guilty and place the penalty on Jesus Christ. But C.S. Lewis understood what John meant when he said the darkness can't, try as it might, simply can't overcome Jesus. When Lewis said, a man can no more diminish God's glory by refusing to worship him than a lunatic can put out the sun by scribbling the word darkness on the walls of his cell. <laughs> you see, Jesus by his word exposes the darkness. And Jesus by his word overcomes the darkness. And Jesus by his word defeats the darkness. And Jesus by his word will destroy the darkness. And how is that done? At Calvary. At Calvary. At the cross, justice and mercy collide. So, why would we, why would anyone want to stay in the dark? Look at your passage again. Men love the darkness. Why? Because their deeds and their heart is dark. We are blind. We lie to ourselves and to each other. It's what the church at Laodicea did in Revelation chapter 3. They thought they were rich. They thought they were healthy. They thought they were clothed. And Jesus comes and says, no, you're poor, you're naked, and you're blind. That's why John, quoting Jesus, calls Satan the father of lies. It's what we do when we are ashamed and guilty and pretending. What did Adam and Eve do when they, found, when they were found in sin? They run and hid. 
They tried to pretend. But if we believe in Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, John tells us if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And now we can come out again like that woman at the well. Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Can this be the Christ? So now this woman was no longer, no, no longer was her label. I have failed at marriage and now I'm living with someone. Now she was like, no, I am known and I am loved. And Jesus has canceled all my debts. Jesus has won the war with darkness. So you and I can be free to admit, I'm blind. I'm afraid. I've failed. I'm struggling. I've sinned. I don't have it all together. And so you can and must admit, you know what's where I don't deserve this. I've got nothing to offer. Oh, that we would truly understand the power of the words and amazing grace. When that man said, that saved a wretch like me. Remember the man born blind in John 9? I love this because when he comes to the climax of it in John chapter 9, it says, so for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answers, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you not want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? I love that. That's the dig evangelism. And so the questions should kind of be obvious as I stop this morning, shouldn't it? If Jesus is the only source of life, and he's the way to eternal life, a life that has meaning and purpose, a life that lasts, a life that makes sense both now and into death and eternity. Do you know Jesus? How has he changed you? And what does that changed life look like today? Are you like the woman at the well or the man born blind? I just need some water. I just need my sight back. The last of the story of the man born blind is he goes and he finally sees Jesus. He's never seen him before. And that conversation is where he gets his sins forgiven. And then there's a whole new level of joy for him. You've met Jesus have you found eternal life in him and been forever changed by him? The darkness has been obliterated by the light of Jesus shining in around you and through you. And so for every man and woman here this morning, Jesus is the light of the world. It's not just a song, it's reality. Jesus is God who has communicated himself to us. He came as one of us, identified with us. He lived for us and he died in our place and he rose in victory for us and he lives and reigns for us and he intercedes for us and he offers forgiveness to us and he extends mercy and grace to us. In fact, he offers himself. The old Puritan Thomas Watson put it like this. If God should show mercy only to such as deserve it, he must show mercy to none. Because none of us deserve it. But do you receive to reject the light of Christ? Will you receive or will you reject Jesus Christ today? Friends, you can't have some of them. You're condemned already without him. You'll fail if you try to control him. 
and have him as your lucky charm. Jesus is either God and thus he's Lord and Savior, Redeemer and King, or simply a crazy man followed by crazy people whom you should ignore, pity, or even seek to put down. And that's what Paul meant in 1 Corinthians 15. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If, if in Christ we have hoped in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Jesus did rise from the dead. So don't miss the enormous hope that's offered to everyone here this morning. See, listen, your good deeds won't help you. Your time served in a church doesn't impress God and his holiness. Your stained glass masquerade, as Casting Crowns put, said, it's not going to help you. And plus, if you're here this morning and you're thinking, Steve, listen, you've got no idea how bad I am. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what's been done to me. You don't understand what I've thought about God or others or even myself you don't realize how I've talked to my wife or treated my husband. You don't know how I've ignored my kids or I've made idols out of them. You've got no idea how much debt I'm in. You don't know what drugs I've experimented with or I'm hooked upon and can't tell anybody. You don't know how much alcohol I've concern, consumed and what I'm like when I drink. You don't, if you only knew how I talk about men and women at work and in school and at home, you'd blush and you'd never want to talk to me. If you knew what I watch and how much time I waste, if you know how much better I think I am than anybody else, if you knew how angry I can get and how I lash out, if you knew how afraid I am of dying, if you knew how ashamed or how depressed I am, Steve, you don't know how I've mis mismanaged my money or the failures in business I've, I've been in or seen. You don't know how I fail at school and pretend to be way smarter than I am. You don't know how bitter I am towards men or can't stand my parents. If you only knew how much hate is in my heart towards anyone who doesn't see the world the way I do. If you only knew the people I've taken advantage of or how many folks I've slept with or how many marriages I've ruined or how much my kids hate me. If you only knew, if you only knew how much I act like I've got it all together, but don't, how I act like I feel happy, safe, and secure, but I'm not. Dude, if you only knew how resentful I am of my wife or how badly I want to be loved and yet feel completely alone. If you only knew how empty I feel because I have no friends. If I had to admit, Steve, I'm single and I hate it. I'm out of work and I just want to lay around. I don't even feel like it's worth getting up in the morning. If you only knew how lazy I am or selfish, if you only knew. <laughs> God does know and died for you and loves you and intercedes for you and will forgive you and restore you that's the darkness of your life and mine, the darkness of the world. But Jesus comes and overcomes the darkness. 1 Corinthians 15 ends this way. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You see, Ray Ortland put it like this. At the cross... Our world took its best shot and played right into God's redemptive purpose. It keeps happening in every generation. The darkness hits, but it cannot overcome the light. Christians, are you walking in the life 
and the light of Jesus? Or are you letting the darkness shade the glory of Jesus upon you? Church, we need to show each other in this city and the world that we've seen the light, that we've been given life. Jesus who revealed himself to me, he now guides me and empowers me and he transforms my life and therefore I can say boldly, my Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to passionately preach your word, Lord. This is a passage that has gripped me to my very core. Search me, O God, and know me that I have not been acting or trying to put on a theatrical performance. Lord, when you prick me, I want to bleed Jesus. I want to bleed his word. But Lord, I do pray that these people here whom I love and yet could never love like you do would have heard a much better sermon than I could ever preach. May the word of God resonate in their hearts, their minds, their souls. And Father, cause them to do business with you and find hope and freedom. Oh, shine the light of the truth on any crevice of their life where they are believing the lie of the darkness. And free us all. In Jesus' name and all God's people said.